Welcome to Specs Speaks Science, the scientific podcast hosted by scientists and industry experts. From highlighting the hidden chemistry in our everyday lives to discussing relative industry topics, Specs Speaks Science looks to deliver informative content to the scientific community. With that, please enjoy this installment of Specs Speaks Science. Hi, welcome to today's podcast. Today on Spec Speak Science, we're going to talk a little bit about solvents, indoor air quality, air quality in labs. And to do that, I brought in a guest. Let me introduce you to Justice Kessler. He is part of our Vape Lock Consultant at Antilia Scientific. So welcome, Justice. And how are you doing today? Great. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, uh, so just want to talk about vape block today. Um, just to give you a story of my, my background, I, I kind of grew up with HPLC. Um, well, it, it was the background of our, of our life. I guess my, my dad started a business um, when I was really young. He was a chemical engineer. Uh, we were in California um, and he started selling HPLC consumables. And so I, I grew up because um, they had the business in the house. I, I grew up with him having conversations uh, with people from you know, across the state, across the country, sometimes globally, they would call in to my dad and ask him, you know, his opinions about HPLC applications and columns and tubing and connections and all that stuff. So I, I had no clue what he was talking about really as a, as a kid, but um, that was always part of the um, the ambient noise, I guess, growing up. So fa fast forward a few years, um, I'm in school for architecture of all things. I went to Rice and Houston and um, about midway through, realized that, you know, it's not really what I want to be doing, um, not, not really where I want to be. And uh, so just looking for ways to pivot. What, what would I what I want to do? Maybe smaller projects, um, maybe, maybe product design. And one, one great thing about Rice was that they, they would kind of help you pivot and they were open to um, trying out other aspects of design. And they, they would place you in kind of a glorified internship at one point in your school. So they, um, they actually found me a job with um, an architect named Michael Graves. It was in Princeton. And I, I went there for a year and I worked in their product design department. I, I arrived at the same time that Michael Graves was designing products like uh, tea kettles and toasters for Target. There was a whole line of um, like you, you could walk down an aisle in, in Target and there would be, you know, all Michael Graves design for Target and stuff that I got to work on. It was this really big deal. It was super fun. There, there was a there was an opening for the product line at the Whitney Museum in, in New York City. And I was this big to do. So um, a great time for me. But it, it was then that I realized, OK, I, I kind of would like to do something um, different, smaller scale. That this, this is kind of more suitable for what I'm doing. There was a coworker there also whose name was Tony, and he he um, had gone to school at Art Center in Pasadena back in California, and he he could just draw like an like an angel. Like the the senior execs would come to him for kind of off the books product design. They would help ask for his help to get um, designs drawn, and, and I, I said, "Well, gosh, if I could do that, I could do anything. I could do anything if I could draw like that." So um, that planted the seed, and and. Um, I kind of knocked around the architecture world for a little bit, but then found myself back in California go, going to school at, at an art center and um, took a few classes. Realized, though, that I was just completely burnt out by this point. I'd been through, you know, seven years of education. I, I was just tired. And um, so as kind of a last hurrah, um, 
I invited my dad, uh, who, you know, chemical engineer and what interest does he have in product design, right? But he, he went along with me. We, we attended a, a seminar, an all day seminar there at Art Center, um, taught by this gal who um, had started, um, funded, sold a, a business doing her own product design. And um, it was just inspiring, I think, seeing what she had done. And I, I think it was mostly like um, children's toys or something. But it, that, that in itself was kind of irrelevant. It was just the fact that she had. Um, designed so much. She had done patents. She had done licensing. She, all, all these aspects of uh, creating a business and, and um, well, bringing something from nothing. So um, to this point, my father and, and my mother too had been working in HPLC and just as a distribution kind of entity. They were they were selling parts for Vidac for Upchurch Scientific at the time. Um, all kinds of column chromatography manufacturers. And um, so my dad said, well, hey, well, why, why don't we launch something on our own? Why, why don't we do product design? Um, why, why don't we develop some products for the lab market and, and just see what's out there? Um, so we we threw all kinds of things at the wall. We didn't know what was going to work. We, we tried to do a, a micro valve, um, really, really tiny scale um like nanoscale micro valve, like a shuttle valve. And uh, that wasn't working. We, we, we tried to do, um, well, and eventually did a um, capillary column packer for proteomics. So it was a loading cell where, where you would um, um, have a really small chamber and um, be able to pack uh, like 360 micron, a few silica columns. Um, and that was really fun. That, that was really my first taste of product design that was, um, you know, had, had a very specific application and, and it garnered a lot of interest within a niche community. Um, but then one, one day, uh, my dad walked through a lab somewhere in San Diego and, and he came back um, saying, hey, I saw this container that was at the foot of an HPLC machine um, and it had all these, you know, effluent lines running out of the HPLC into the open mouth of this container. And but the container had quick disconnects on the outside. It says, hey, well, why, why don't we make a, a manifold for all those effluent lines that'll capture them so they're not leaking um, and and see if we'll, you know, see if this will solve their problem. So I, I went to work, I made this manifold. Um, it, it was kind of a flat pancake looking thing. Um, we took it to the customer after we made it and they loved it. Um, we sold a bunch of them right off the get go um, and it really solved an issue where um, in HPLC, you'd had this normally open system where both at, this, at the solvent delivery side and the solvent waste side of the instrument, um, there was almost never any provision. And I mean, this is 25 years ago, but almost never any provision for how to secure all of those waste lines or solvent lines or um, how to capture fumes. So, um, you know, with this, one thing led to another, really. Um, we responded to user requests and the needs of labs that said, Hey, you can do the manifold. Um, can you also make an exhaust filter to scrub the fumes coming out of this? So we did the research, we did the um, tests on a GC to find the right um, media absorbent. And um, then especially in the Bay area in San Francisco, we would get requests for um, something that they were calling a closed system. They, they, a lot of, environmental health and safety teams um, were responding to OSHA and EPA requests to um, yeah, close their HPLCs to minimize vapor exhaust in the lab, um, uh, help with environmental concerns where you have all this exhaust. Um, but really, this is mainly an OSHA issue where you have um, 
these volatiles in the lab, which really had been, um, gosh, um, prevalent in the lab for 60 years since HPLC's inception, but no one really, for some reason, had taken too much care to solve this problem. Um, so that, that was this, the inception. We mainly responded to what people wanted and we created um, uh, components that would mechanically um, close up the HPLC so that you would reduce your exhaust. Um, so that would protect the researcher, the bench chemist that was sitting right there at the machine. Um, we you know, kicked around a few names. Um, vapor lock was kind of the, uh, the notion we're going with how to lock in those vapors. So uh, vape lock became the, the name for the, the brand. Um, we call it vap lock often, but um, vape lock is what we've gone with. Um, fast forward a few years beyond that, um, the, the business had grown. We were able to expand into um, not just California, but, but grow with distribution. And we, were, we had international distributors. Um, this product really was taking off all around the world because this is a global issue. We, we have HPLCs everywhere. That's a really interesting history. And you don't really realize that it's a problem until suddenly it becomes a problem. I know I've personally sat at the foot of HPLCs and LCMS systems and been breathing in those, those fumes. And there is quite a lot of research that goes on for indoor air quality and indoor air quality in laboratories. So it is definitely a, an important uh, point to get across that you want to try to clean up indoor air quality. I know I've spoken since the pandemic hit to some of our scientists, and they're having a hard enough time breathing with masks on. So they really want their air to be clean, too, because it's it's even worse now that they have to wear masks and face shields in the lab on top of everything else. So I know that they are concerned about it. So what kind of solvents are the vape lock system meant to trap? So who would use this? Right. Well, in, in our experience, about, I would say about 90% of the HPLCs out there are running reverse phase solvents. So that's acetonitrile, methanol, water. Um, another 5 or 10%, I'd say, are doing normal phase solvents. Um, again, this is in, in my experience, not really hard data, but um, so those are THF, methane chloride, hexane, um, some really more volatile solvents. But um, when, when we designed VapeLock, it was, it was intended um, to... Um, really help with those organic solvents, how, how to how to contain them all, so that all of uh, all the materials that we use have to be compatible with that kind of short list of solvents, um, and also the adsorbent that we chose for the um, um, you know capturing the fumes as we exit the waste container. Those also have to be, you know, but that that absorb, absorbent media had to be um, able to trap all those solvents. Um, an issue later became, how do you know when the exhaust filter is saturated? How do you know when to replace this thing? So we had done our, our GC breakthrough studies. Um, so we, we knew, you know, at this flow rate and yada, yada, this is when you'll need to replace it. But um, we needed a kind of a one size fits all solution for um, when to replace the filter. And um, so eventually we came to the solution there too, where we have um, almost a litmus paper like product, it's not lips paper, but more specialized than that. But it, it would actually change color with exposure to um, that list of HPLC solvents. So, when you're using it, do you use it just for the waste, or do you have a uh, vape lock uh, for the actual solvent reservoirs themselves? Right. So, um, the, the main concern, because the main outgassing point, I'd say, is the waste container. Um, and that really is where um, OSHA 
comes in. They, they regulate what's below the bench. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's our primary focal point for the product. But um, like um, so many labs at the beginning came to us, say, hey, we want a total closed system. Um, as, as part of a best practice, you, you really want to have both ends of the system closed. So that, that also involves your um, um, solvent delivery system. So those um, two or, or four bottles in a binary quaternary system, you, you don't want those venting at the same time. Um, so that, that's pure solvent and that may not necessarily be regulated by OSHA, but still you, you don't want it evaporating out. And also you don't want those um, solvent concentrations evaporating at different rates if you have a certain mixture. So um, yeah, up on the on the mobile phase, we wanted to close that as well. So what we did there was we included a, a one-way valve to let air into the bottle to displace the vacuum as you're sucking fluids out. Um, but it's not going to allow vapors to um, evaporate out of the container. So is there, uh, and this is my own personal interest, is there any filter on that or is that an option or what kind of, um, so you, you bring air into the bottle and you don't release any out. Is there a, a filter that you have for that as well or is it just a one-way valve? Right. So yeah, there is a filter, but the, the concern on the, on the mobile phase is um, how do you keep particulates out of your mobile phase? You don't, you don't want to have dust in there, lab dust. So there's a, there's a 50 micron Teflon filter at the top of the cap. It just covers over the valve so that we, we reduce the kind of, um, lab particulates. But um, because there's no exit of the um, solvent vapor, we, we, don't, we don't choose to put an exhaust filter there. Um, so that, that's solely on the waste end. That sounds like a really interesting system. I know from personal experience that uh, if you leave uh, some of those solvent bottles sitting, you do get dust settling in them. You can get mold growing in them from, from different particles being pulled in. So that sounds like a real uh, good system to help prolong the life of your mobile phases as well, because you're not going to have to worry as much of, of extraneous matter getting into your, into your mobile phases. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So what kind of systems is it used on? Is it only brand name systems or, you know, let's say you, you know, you're a, a small university, you've bought one of not one of the most popular brands of HPLC. Are they going to be able to fit a system, uh, fit a vape lock system on their system? You know, what kind of systems do you cover all brands? Right. Yeah. So we, we developed it to start with, I mean, as you might imagine, we started with, you know, the Waters instrument, the 2695 and the kind of the workhorse and then the Agilent 1100 or 1200. Um, that's what we would find in most labs. Um, worked on a few Dynex machines and, and Thermo, but, um, but, but really, I mean, we're talking about a pretty broad concept of you just have two containers, you know, or well, depending on how many mobile phase bottles you have, you have several containers at the top and you have one container at the bottom. And it's really depends more on what your selection of container is, uh, you know, whether or not you can use VapeLock. Um, so what VapeLock became was a, a, a means to um, kind of universally adapt um, this system to whatever container type the user chose to implement. Um, on the solvent delivery, the, the mobile phase, almost universally everyone uses a GL45 lap bottle, the wide mouth media bottle, you call them, you get from um, Shot or, or Kymax or what have you. Um, on, on the waste end though, it, it kind of loses its standardization quickly, depending on what jurisdiction you're in or the, the local the local rules. Um, 
in uh, like all along the California coast, it's pretty much standardized that you need to use a just right safety container, two or five gallon. They have quick disconnects on the outside. And um, that's, that's what they want you to use. But then in the Cambridge, Massachusetts area, they want you to use a 20 liter DOT container with a 70 millimeter threat. Um, so really, um, we, we would, well, the, the system that we designed could um, incorporate all of that. It, 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 could, it could allow for the user that just wanted to use a glass bottle for waste and it could allow for the user who wanted to use a safety can. So we had to make something that was versatile, um, as universal as we could make it, um, that would allow for as many different tubes as you know the customer had attached to their machine. Some systems are really simple, like you have a, a mass spec attached to your LC and you have one waistline. Um, but others, like a waters machine, that they might have four waistlines plus um, maybe they had three detectors. So we had to allow for you know all what is that seven seven lines plus any um, drip trays that might be you know drip, leaking off the machine. Um, sometimes users would want to save money and um, allow for two or three instruments that were all in line or all in the same um, kind of cart. And so how how do you how do you um, gather all of those waste tubes together into one container. I mean, there is an issue with the amount of solvent that you can have in a lab, depending on the square footage and, and, and so forth. You, you may only be able to have a certain number of containers because they, every container, you know, the fire marshal is going to count it as a full container when they go through the lab to do an audit. So um, there are some labs with that consideration. How, how, how do we, how do we um, plumb all of these LCs into one container? And so the, Vapeplot could do that because the system be became modular where it was a, a manifold that could be stacked, that could grow, that could um, really accommodate any size tube, uh, whether it was a soft tube or a hard, you know, um, Teflon tube or a Tigon tube, whatever, um, just about any size. And you could plumb it all into this thing. So we, we did some um, HPLC systems where there were, you know, three or four machines going into one and, 30, 30 lines, you know, it's, it makes this big, crazy mushroom looking thing, but it, it can be done with this system. And that, that's what we found that we had to do. We had to be versatile, we had to be flexible, and we had to um, really accommodate whatever the user needed. So you have like, you can put like three or four instruments together. What was the, like the craziest setup that you've been asked to do? Yeah. Um, well, what I was just picturing as I was talking, what was this one lab where we went into? I, I shouldn't say the name where it was, but yeah, they, they had these carts. Um, and I, I, I want to say they had at least five instruments on them. And there were literally 30 or 40 waistlines that they wanted to go into every single machine. And, and so it was, it was a big test of our modularity and could, could we do it? And, and it, it worked, right? So, <laughs> so they, they were pretty pleased by the end. Well, that's great. That it sounds like that uh, you were able to solve the problem for. It also sounds very highly customizable, so that any customer who has almost any setup that we are going to be able to find some way to get this done for them. So, yeah, the the, the system that we tried to develop and eventually eventually patented was uh, what we call the our, our universal manifold, where we could, from a manufacturing standpoint, we we could make one single product. We could make it in polypropylene, we can make it in Teflon, but it was already machined, already ported in a certain way. But then we could take that single product that we'd stocked and put it onto whatever um, cap size, um, depending, on, depending on, like, on the container type, 
um, that the customer needed. So we, we could take the same product and put it on a customer's four liter amber solvent bottle that we could, we could also put on someone's just right can. We could put it onto a, um, you know, a, a, a 20 liter Nalgene with a big 83B cap on it. So um, that, that was a breakthrough for us when we figured out that, hey, this, this product, um, which once we got the patent for, we, we knew that we could execute on anything the customer had um, and we could use the same parts that they could, they could have a really quick turnaround because we could stock them all. Um, and it, it, because of that modularity, we, we could decrease lead times and we could keep a lot of customers a lot happier because they could get the product they needed in a short order. I know some customers or some HPLC users use some pretty nasty additives or some acids in their systems. Uh, can uh, can the Vapelock system accommodate some of these, like the trifluoroacetics and some of the other kind of uh, nasty, corrosive uh, acid, acid additives? Right. Well, the, the materials that we use, um, by and large, are polypropylene and Teflon. So, and the user can choose which material they want. On the solvent delivery side, universally we standardize on, on TTFE. We, we didn't want any um, extra contaminants. We wanted to make sure that this product was as resistant as possible. Um, but, um, so yes, it, we, we, actually, we also do have some exhaust filters that were made just for acids. If, if a customer had a strong, uh, uh, more, um, more acids in their in their exhaust than normal um so and we do have indicators for that as well but by and large most of the users that we cater to they they may have some acids in um in their solvents but it's not super concentrated um so it's never been an issue that's a lot of great information so i know that a lot of our our customers are um are doing liquid chromatography and and gas chromatography in, in their labs. You said you talked about gas chromatography a, a few times. Is that how it started? And are, are there any products for the gas chromatography market? Or is that something that you kind of just moved on to uh, and just focused on the liquid chromatography? Yeah, our, our experience with GC really was limited to our initial tests. Um, we just wanted to know um, when we look at these different absorbents, um, you know, once we're running a sample, how, how long is it going to take for this exhaust filter to break through? Um, we did look at GC in terms of like how, how, how can VapeLock help with that system? But um, at least in my understanding, I don't have a lot of experience with GC, but my understanding, you're burning off um, a lot of the, the vapors uh, before they get into the lab. Um, there was like one, uh, one customer said, hey, maybe we get an exhaust filter on the outlet port here of this, but never really took off. So yeah, um, HPLC really was where we um, cut our teeth and where we have uh, kind of lingered, as I would say, our, our bread and butter in this area. But we do venture outside of that. We've done um, a lot of custom work for non-HPLC industries. We did a, a recent one for a printing company. I can't, can't tell you the name, but um, they had some kind of nasty inks that they didn't want to breathe and they, they didn't want um, those volatiles evaporating out. Um, we've done a lot for the semiconductor industry where they use really nasty stuff. You don't want to breathe that. And you have to use kind of rarefied materials too, to be able to resist, um, you know, the, those solvents. So um, really vape lock, it, it conforms to um, 
any kind of benchtop scale chemistry. So where you're moving small volumes of solvent from one point to another, you know, you're, you're, um, you have a couple liters of solvent you want to feed from a bottle and put it into an instrument and then capture the waste at the end or recycle it, however you, you're doing it. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's not for like process scale. It's, it's maybe a few gallons in a week, but that's kind of the, the limits of where we decided to work. So, um, and we, we've grown over the years to work with a lot of, um, we call them OEMs, but the instrument manufacturers of Shimazu or Waters who um, are, are making these benchtop scale instruments where um, yeah, we're, we're just feeding small volumes of, of solvent to their instrument and capturing the waste at the end. It sounds like a, a really useful tool in the laboratory, and I'm glad we've had some some time to talk to you today. It does sound like it could significantly add to indoor air quality in the laboratory. I know at Specs we are in the process of working with you to install these systems on our HPLC and our LCMS instruments, and we're going to be doing a study with uh, with VapeLock to see if we can uh, get some real data on the reduction of different types of solvents in our laboratory air and in our laboratory system. So uh, everyone needs to stay tuned and, and come back and hear some of our results as we get them over the next year or so. But I've really enjoyed talking with you. You have great a great backstory and it sounds like a, a product that you're really passionate about. So thanks a lot for talking to us today. Absolutely, thanks Patricia. Thanks a lot. Specs Speak Science is presented by Specs. We provide quality assurance and research tools for the analytical life science community. Our mission is to support scientists for a safer tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating the podcast and subscribing for future installments. Similar content such as application notes, research studies, webinars, and more can be found at specs.com. Thank you for listening to Specs Speak Science, and we look forward to bringing you future episodes.